This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. All right, I'm here with uh, now repeat podcast guest, Zach Jones uh, from Iowa. And Zach, uh, in our last episode together, agreed to try to find someone from the Iowa Habitat and Access Program. So we also have with us Nick Baumgarten. How are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. Good. Doing well. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. So I've kind of set a goal for myself that I want to have on representatives of all these little access programs across the country, as many of them as I can, and just kind of like meter out these episodes through time until I've done as many of them as I can. And um, the hope is that we identify ways that the sportsmen can support and grow the programs. You know, that's a a major goal, making sportsmen aware of the programs and, and exploring within this case, you, Nick, ideas for, for growing the programs and dealing with one of the biggest problems in hunting in America today, in my estimation, which is lack of access and crowding. So that's the goal. That's the, that's the, that's the rationale, uh, for me, me wanting to do these episodes is because I think they have potential to help out with access and crowding. Um, So, so, uh, we were chatting a little bit before our, we started recording about how uh, the Iowa Habitat and Access Program. What do you got? What are you, what's a good thing? You, you guys call it IHAP or IHAP? Yeah, the IHAP program. Oh, IHAP. There we go. That cuts yeah, we off. Got an acro- we have an acronym for everything, don't that, we? That cut, well, that's a good one. It cuts out a lot of syllables. Uh, <laughs> So I have, you were saying is in part, at least funded through the NRCS VPA hip program. Yep. And I just had the guy, so the, some four folks from the Wisconsin DNR on yesterday and some of their funding, they have five access programs though. Hmm. And, and, but one, two of the programs, one of them is Turkey specific. Do you have that? A turkey? No, we just have one general program. Okay. Uh, so, and just for, for hunting access alone. I've heard of other states having different variations to address specific access needs, but in Iowa, we just plain made it ac- hunting access, period. Okay. Yeah. There they, this, they have a turkey specific one and then all everything else hunting one. And, mm-hmm. But they're both funded through this NRCS VPA HIP uh, mechanism. Yeah. So the question I, I guess I want to ask is, first off, is is that the sole source of funding? 
No. So we additionally use uh, hunter habitat stamp dollars. So when they purchase a license in the state, they purchase a habitat stamp. And part of those funds goes towards this program as well. Okay. So direct $100 going into the program in addition to those the federal funds. Okay. This federal source of funding is relatively new, is it not? I think so. Um, we started our program in 2011-ish. And so relatively- No, I'm talking new. about the VPA HIP. Yeah, and I think it wasn't long before then. Okay, that sorry, that's what you're getting at. If I'm not mistaken, so I think it's a relatively new program. Um, yeah. I might be mistaken about that, but and it's contingent on the whims of the farm bill. Yes, it is a farm bill program, and so I I guess that uh, hopefully it'll be supported in this next farm bill, and we'll have that opportunity again yeah. to uh, apply for that grant and continue to, uh, I guess, support our program with those dollars. And you were saying IHAP, that just started in 2011? Yeah. Is that right? Was there a program similar to that for uh, public access for private uh, ground prior to that, or is that the first of its kind for Iowa? I think it was the first of its kind, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, when we first, I guess, started looking into it, we we had some uh, focus groups with landowners and with hunters and tried to build something that uh, we thought would work in the state. And uh, we wanted to, to address two major things. One was habitat. And then the second one was obviously hunter access. So I guess from then it's it's kind of grown. And uh, I guess we're pretty proud of of what it's become. And I think our our hunters and our landowners enjoy it. Now on the habitat side, do you guys help uh, landowners improve habitat as well? Or is it just setting up the access for public hunting on private ground? So the the majority of our program is based on working with landowners to create habitat improvements. Um, And that can range all over the board. We want to be able to help them restore habitat that they have that's been degraded and then manage um, their habitat once they have it installed. Um, So really the basis of our program is to create a relationship with those landowners. Our biologists and landowners will work to develop a wildlife habitat plan uh, based on what the landowner's goals are and what our biologists understand to be, you know, scientifically sound way of going forward and and kind of what's possible with their property from there we we design a wildlife plan that'll be implemented during the years that they allow access and we provide financial incentives to uh to go along with the program but they open it up for public hunting access um i guess along with those improvements all right yeah um I guess improvement wise, it probably varies by track to land and everything like that. But what are some examples of habitat improvements that might be done through that program? Sure. So it's always uh, pretty prescriptive based on the piece that you have and what kind of habitat you're wanting to develop. But it can vary widely from wetland restoration. Um, when I was living in north central Iowa and working with the program, um, restoration of pothole wetlands was one of the main things that we did. And then restoration of native prairie, 
to go along with that. Um, also done timber work, burns. A um, couple of the night, I guess we help people solve issues that they might be having, tree and tree and brush encroachment, uh, cool season uh, non-native grass encroachment, all kinds of things. It could vary widely. It's just pretty prescriptive once we get out on the piece of ground uh, based on what they have and what the landowner goals are for what we need to do. And our, um, I guess in that plan, we kind of go through step-by-step step on how to accomplish those management goals. So um, in, in that North Central region, I'm curious about that. I like to hunt ducks a lot. And that was kind mm -hmm. of a part of the prairie pothole region. A lot of yeah. it's, uh, I guess, tiled for farming. But have you seen a lot of success for restoring habitat through the prairie pothole region, that north central section of the state? Sure. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was, uh, during my time when I was uh, working directly with landowners, we restored quite a few pothole wetlands. It's tricky, um, but it can be done. Um, you know, drainage tile um, presents some obstacles because we need want to maintain drainage for neighboring agricultural fields but there are ways that you can work with that to put water back on the surface for longer and create those uh pothole wetland systems awesome that's cool to hear yeah deal yeah those are some of my favorite projects actually yeah they make for neat stories for sure yeah how many acres are enrolled so right now, currently, we're right around 35,000 acres, um, which seems small, but in Iowa, it's, it's significant. And it's probably around 250 individual landowners that we work with. So I think public ground-wise, we're, and I could be wrong on the stats for this, we're one of the, like percentage-wise, one of the fewest, uh, one of the lowest states for percentage of public land. I think we're somewhere like number 50. It's like 2% of our ground is public ground. Is that? That's about like, what, you, that's about what that. Texas is. Yeah. Is it's about it's, the same. Yeah. There's not a lot. We have, we have some, but um, there's not a ton. So it's really important programs. Kind of what piqued my interest about it. And you said it started in 2011. So to grow 35,000 acres of access is pretty solid chunk. Yeah, these days is it is that pretty stable number or is it declining or growing or I guess we we just got through um our most recent enrollment period and so I guess we're on the upswing of the number of acres. This currently we're at the most number of acres that we've ever had in the program. So oh, last fantastic. farm bill happened in 2019 and we were awarded um, a grant for the VPA HIP, match that with um, $100, and then opened an enrollment for, for new properties. And we're able to uh, enroll um, and even then re-enroll some old sites um, that were expiring into the program. So we're doing pretty good right now. Is it, is, are all the acres that are enrolled open to hunting? Yes. Yep. So we just have one general program. It's walk-in hunting access uh, during during all of our hunting seasons. There's no, no difference between this hunting season or the next. Um, and anyway, away you go. We've, uh, I guess, worked out that part of it. And the habitat improvements happen year-round, depending on when they need to happen. And 
and you're welcome to go uh, access the site from September 1st to May 31st, depending on what seasons are open and what the site is like um, and what you want to go hunt out there. So, yeah, that's great. How, how, uh, what's the hunt qual- quality like on these lands? I'm sure it's not like you're all alone all the time. There's got to be some number of other hunters. Is it decent? Sure. Or? Uh, yeah, I think that it's, it's pretty reasonable. I think openers, you know, are typically some of the busier times in Iowa and you'll see people out on our public land as well as the IHAPs. They're starting to gain popularity where our hunters understand the opportunity is there. It took a while for people to understand what IHAP even was. Um, and they're spread throughout the, across the state. So if you didn't live close to one, you didn't really know that they existed. Um, at any rate, so I, I, I think they've gained some popularity, but I, I don't know that I would say that they're overcrowded. And I think that the, uh, the habitat quality, because we focus on that piece, I think it gives people a, a nice opportunity where they can have a certain level of expectation that when they come to a piece, it's going to be high quality habitat and, and hopefully you find success. Yeah. Or at least have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Are they scattered? Are they, these properties scattered around the state pretty uniformly or are they, is it in particular pockets of the state? It kind of has just sprung up in pockets. I would say that uh, most of our sites are in in Western Iowa um, and different pockets around the state have just sprung up where I think landowners get used to seeing a neighbor have one and over time become familiar with what they are and how they're used and how they're treated. And we've, I guess we've seen that if there's one in an area over time, it's an e- easier conversation to have with the landowner to to see if they're potentially interested because they're at least familiar with it. Um, That's interesting. I was, I was going to ask you about that. I was looking at the IHAP map today and I was noticing there's quite a few in, in Western Iowa. I didn't know if there was a reason behind that or, or what that was. So interesting to find yeah, out. It just kind of gets popped up. I, I actually had a, a phone call from one of our IHAP landowners earlier today, coincidentally enough, and and he was talking to me about about the program and about um, his future plans uh, with it. And he said that a group of landowners that all knew and farmed with each other around that area met in a gas station coffee shop and decided that they'd all all go into the program together. And and now there's a nice little complex of, of public access in that county. So it pops up in strange ways. I yeah, that's that's a heartwarming tale right there. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, th- this is a question I hadn't even thought to ask, but I, so I don't know how good of a job I'm going to do articulating my point here. So one of the incentives is fiscal and one of the incentives is to get some habitat work done, mm-hmm. right? Do you do you think that with some of these folks that they just want to that, that there's a part of them that they just want their community members to have some place to recreate and hunt? I think so. I think that it it becomes that. Uh again that 
you know, that landowner that I was talking with today, just because it's fresh in my mind, um, he's not a hunter, but he has family that hunt. And, and just, I guess the appreciation that he sees from the other hunters, you know, he'll get thank you cards in the mail of people that have never even met him. I have uh, many landowners that have told me that where they get quite a bit of thanks from the people that that hunt those IHAPs. And uh, at any rate, I think they just appreciate that. And I think in my mind, it is kind of a community thing where, you know, these things pop up and they create more opportunity within their relative community. And the people that are using it the most are your neighbors. Um, so anyway, it's kind of kind of fun, I, I guess, to see that come to fruition. Yeah. On the topic of uh, showing appreciation to the IHAP uh, landowners, mm-hmm. is there, a, do you know if there's a, a program or anything like that where, you know, you can send uh, donations or thank you cards or whatever, and they kind of distribute it out to the landowners? Or is there anything like that in place? Or are those cards that those landowners are receiving, is that just directly from the hunter to the landowner? There's nothing in place. And and I guess just, um, you know, we don't really release the contact info of the landowners that we have, sure. but I suppose they find out who they are on, you know, on X or whatever, and they, they just send them cards. Um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting how that comes to be. I had one landowner, she was uh, probably a 90-year-old woman, and she just loved it. Every time people would come, she'd see him out in the driveway and they'd go out and hunt and and drop her a thank you card in the mailbox. And she just loved, I guess, having that interaction. So anyway, it's really been pretty positive. That seems like it could be a potential improvement if you guys could figure out a way whereby you 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 were the intermediary, like they could send you cards and you'd get them to the people, you know? Uh-huh. In case it's somebody that doesn't know who owns it or doesn't have a way of contacting the sure. landowner. With this Wisconsin program that I was telling you about, they don't they they tell their hunters not to contact the landowner. Uh and then but I think through our conversation, they said, Yeah, there does need to be a way, a mechanism whereby these people can thank thank the landowner for providing the access you know i think what they're the idea there was that you wouldn't pester the landowner you know i think uh, that is true and i've uh, some of our landowners have been motivated where where by opening it for public access they don't have to field all the calls for asking for permission uh uh-huh yeah i mean that is one of the motivations that i've i've seen from our landowners um and I, I guess, yeah, anyway, I, I, I do get your point. I think it's a valid point that being able to let our people know that people appreciate them and pass that on might be a good idea. Yeah. There's going to be like a, a separate phase of this. We'll move into a different phase of this discussion okay. that where I lay out what we're doing here in Montana and see how it might relate, you know, to what you're doing and, and, see if you could leverage what we're doing in some way or if it would fit at all to help increase the acres enrolled and grow the program but before we do that i want to make sure that zach has all his questions answered 
Um, yeah, I think for at least for this phase, uh, I can check my notes here quick. I guess I was going to see um, if there were any what your biggest hurdle for IHAP might be or, or multiple hurdles. You know, if, if there are things that are obstructions to that you've, you know, difficulties getting landowners to enroll or just spreading the word about IHAP or like, what would you see as big hurdles to the program? Hmm. Um, I would say that landowner familiarity with the program could be uh, improved. It's just not something, you know, it's a smaller program that they just don't hear of every day. And um, so I, I think that we could probably do a job, a, a better job of promoting the program there. I mean, we when we have enrollment periods, we do a fair amount of marketing to try and get landowner interest in the program. But you know, even if they've heard of it, it takes um, a good amount of time to develop a relationship with them to where, you know, they they trust our staff, they trust the program, um, you know, does it work for their operation? I mean, there's lots of things to consider. I guess probably the, what I maybe would consider as one of the limiting factors is is whether they would develop wildlife habitat to begin with. Um, I guess there's just a lot of pressures on landowners in our state to um, have productive ground. And so the development of wildlife habitat in general is a decision that comes before IHAP is a decision to, decision to be made, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like if they just have like a cornfield or soybean field, they may have to actually have habitat implemented as well. Is that what you're saying? Sure. So we have, right? yeah, I mean, we, we're wanting our hunters to have a certain level of experience when they go out there. And also our, our first thing is to develop wildlife habitat in general. That's, I guess, one of our biggest things that, that we are concerned with in the Wildlife Bureau. And so um, we have to find landowners that are, are willing to develop those habitats. Um, in general. And I guess we've ha- we've found that we've had pretty good success that there are quite a few landowners in the state that are willing to not only develop wildlife habitat, but then open it up for public access, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, I guess our biologists, you know, they're always working with landowners to um, make habitat improvements on people's lands. But, but then there's that second piece where it comes open for public access. So. Sure. Uh, so I'm imagining, like, I'm wondering if over time, I mean, anybody that's putting in, that's, that's got, that's farming fence row to fence row and, and now wants to have some wildlife habitat, they've had some kind of change of heart, right? Either that, or they bought the farm. And we're like, one thing I want to change is I want to not have it that we're farming fence road to fence roads. It's either that, or they've had a change of heart and they're like, you know, I would like to have more wildlife habitat. Do you think over time in that state, more and more farmers and large landowners have become interested in having more natural area on their places? Good question. Or is that pretty stable? 
Um, I think that, um, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of pressure on our on our landowners. Land is expensive. Um, and so, you know, I guess there's a lot of demands for that ground to be productive. Yeah. Um, I do see that our landowners have a good conservation ethic and want to do right by the land. Um, and so I think that development of of that habitat or enhancement of habitat that's already existing on their property is something that that they're interested in. Um, you know, I mean, we do we do promotion of the different projects that that we can get done uh, for habitat improvement, but we also receive a lot of phone calls where people are motivated on their own to do that, and then okay. they're they're wanting our advice. So I think okay. um, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay, there's nothing else there. I'm going to tell you about our what we're doing. Sure. And I'm going to try to be real brief with this cuz I'm trying to have as many of these kind of episodes highlighting these state fish and wildlife management agency access programs as I can and and every one I'm going to do I'm going to say what I'm about to say so I don't want it to get too repetitive but we have this new nonprofit. It's called Montana Hunters for Access. I'm a founding member and I'm the vice president of it. And we raise money through local businesses and private donations and use that money to buy appreciation gifts for landowners that are enrolled in our block management program, which is a very large access program here, 6 million acres enrolled. Um, and then we go, then we dole out all the swag that we buy with like calf, calf shelter, rancher swag, you know, like calf shelters and fence closers and things like that. Home ranch and home supply store gift cards at the, at regional block management appreciation dinners. They have these dinners every year annually where uh, it, the idea is to, for the landowners enrolled in the program to come in and they get a, free meal and some raffle prizes and stuff like that. So that's one component of it. The other thing that we're doing is at, at those dinners, we are going around with a sign-up sheet saying, Hey, would you like some help on the place this summer? And this is the first year we did that. We've been doing some work pr projects on block management properties, but not just getting the name of a couple people from our fish and wildlife management agency uh, and reaching out to them and doing it that way. But this year we went around with a piece of paper and we had no idea how many people would sign it. We were open to the idea that none would. We got probably 40 or 50 signatures, something like that. Uh, and then we also have probably the similar number of hunters signed up that have said they would volunteer a day or two. And we'll be doing everything under the sun, fence repair to cleaning up trash mowing lawns whatever you know mm -hmm. so we'll be sending out a little a lot of little crews two three four folks to just go out for a day or two in the summer to uh say hey you know thanks for putting up with the hassle of allowing public hunting and i don't know where it'll lead and i don't know how how powerful it'll be in in keeping you know what keeping places open what, what effect it'll ultimately have, but that's what we're hoping is that that just showing that gratitude 
will be and because these ranchers out here have a lot of choices they could go with an outfitter they could go with a private land lease company um so that's what we're doing and i was curious what do you think is there any potential for something like that to help grow the program i think that's a interesting concept um on just showing that appreciation and and um getting hunters in front of landowners so that it's more of that one-on-one interaction between them because some of our landowners might not uh, you know be able might not live next to the piece that they have enrolled in the ground and some might not have many interactions with the hunters in general so yeah uh an interesting concept i know that um we've had different opportunities where where we've had working groups uh give back to to landowners in the form of of habitat work we have yeah have seen that like local pheasants forever chapter members um or different conservation groups come out and and spend some time doing habitat development so i guess that's somewhat along the same thread yeah pheasants forever kind of works a lot utilizes so uh, this model somewhat not Mm -hmm. maybe not the appreciation gifts and 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 that thing but that those sorts of things but like they have this adopt a ranch program they do a lot yeah they do a a lot of work on a lot a lot of large landowners properties as a way of giving back so yeah that Mm -hmm. it's a cool idea to sweeten the pot for the landowner really I mean, if I was a landowner, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, it's two things. You get a little work done. If you're the landowner, you get a little work done. And you also get a really good look at how much it means to people. Yeah. And you get a chance to kind of meet the hunters themselves that may be on your land as well. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sign any either of you two up for more work. Uh, I, my, I my idea is that i we put this episode out and there'll be some number of iowa hunters that listen to it you know and maybe it'll spark some ideas in them and then they come to you um Mm -hmm. yeah it'd be a cool i mean it's something i would i would volunteer a day or two in the summer myself you know for something like that i bet there's other people that share that same sentiment you know i bet there's lots yeah I bet there's lots. It might be hard to find someone to lead it up because that's a fair bit of work, but right. Centralizing it would be maybe a little bit of a task, but I bet you find a lot of people to participate. Yeah. I probably will spend uh 10 10 eight hour days on it this year. Maybe that's a little heavy. Maybe it's not even quite that. But we have a lot of help now. We got a lot of people. That are helping so maybe five eight hour days on it all total between the going to the dinners and making phone calls and all that stuff so and you head up that program in montana matt is that right i'm the i'm the vice president i do a lot vice of the president. work okay. but uh our president is a is a very good friend of mine and the other the other leadership person that's secretary treasurer is a one of my very best friends. So between the three of us, we all do a fair bit of work on it. Um, but yeah, I'd say five yep. days a week, you know, or five days a year would be about what it what it takes. If you had three people doing five days a year work, you could get a lot, lot done. 
it's not too bad. W- would you say your work on that is a lot of just phone calls and organization and stuff like that? Or yeah, you- I, well, yeah, it is. I mean, we had a guy that volunteered to build us a website called my it's called montana hunter access.org and helping him with getting the web, website up and running was one thing it's not like i was doing what the web programming but he wanted help with the design features and then uh orchestrating a we had a uh, a pint night where we where people came in and, and bought raffle tickets to all these raffle items that these businesses had donated to us um and you know and then we took that money and that's what we bought the appreciation gifts with so orchestrating helping orchestrate that organize that event and then going to the appreciation dinners and then i'll lead a crew this summer you know one of the one of the hopefully i don't know i hope we got 10 or 12 crews or 20 i don't know how many we'll have but that'll be a day or a day and a half there so do you find there's a fair amount of work in getting those uh, those businesses that donate to the raffle, getting them on board? Is that a fair amount of groundwork no, doing we that? We did not have a problem with that. And it might be because our president knows everyone. That helps. He's lived here for years, and it's a small community of 10,000 people. Uh, he's the right guy for the job, too, because not only does he know all the business owners, but he, he's a tractor repairman and salesman. So he knows all the egg producers. You know, so he's just the ideal person. But uh, and it, we're only operating in in one part of the state, in out in the eastern part of the state. And there's a we're, there's somebody has approached us about starting another chapter in another part of the state. So, but this is a brand new thing, you know. But we're excited enough about it to have these discussions with other states. And see if there's any potential there. Do you have enough money? Like, if you had more people come to you, would you be able to institute institute more agreements right now, Nick? Um, I guess at this exact moment, we still are uh, taking applications for the program. Uh, we don't have a lot more funding until this next um, farm bill comes around. And hopefully there's additional funds available within it. And hopefully we get awarded a grant to where we can offer more enrollments. Um, but we're always interested to hear from people who are, who are maybe interested in the program just to talk through it. You know, it takes some time to develop that wildlife plan and, and develop that relationship with them um, and just go through all the odds and ends. I know I had one landowner that, that um had caught us in between enrollment periods and and had to wait a couple of years, but finally we got to the point where we had uh, funding available, and I called him up and made his day. Now he's enrolled. So um, anyway, it's it kind of ebbs and flows with our enrollment periods for for funding, but um, we're hopeful to get more acres, I guess, here in the next couple of years. Yeah. So okay, here. The sky's the limit. Our fish and game management agency has a lot of money. So if we're successful at enticing people in, the money being there is pretty much guaranteed, at least these days. So that's another obstacle you guys face there and growing. The problem is that pro- the program is that you don't have 
a, a tremendous amount of money to devote to these, even if interest increased dramatically. Sure. And I, I think there's opportunity to increase our funding if we see a drastic increase in, in interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just that we have been growing it slowly over slowly, the past yeah. 10 or so years, um, both for us internally to get familiar with it and good at it, I guess, so that we uphold our end for the landowner, but also just, uh, I guess, getting everyone familiar with the program so that there can be interest in it in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think there'll be opportunities over over time where where hopefully we do see increased interest in it. Yeah. Yeah. So these ideas that we're throwing around with our program are things that you can keep in mind down the road if you're so inclined. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you, if either of you or anybody else wants our help, you know, we've talked about we could elaborate our website to handle other states and like what the website allows that's where people sign up to do the work you know so you Mm -hmm. you go on social media and say hey you want to give back to landowners that are allowing hunting and it would be in your case iowa go to this web we'd call it if we go national, we'll just call it hunters for access instead of Montana hunters for access. You know, this is all pie in the sky stuff right now, you know, and then you could go on there and sign up and then you have crew leaders and the crew leaders just call a couple guys that have signed up and say, you ready? We're going to go out June 15th, you know, and rake leaves that, or whatever. <laughs> that, that concept gets me excited when I, I guess when I specifically think about habitat work that can yeah. be accomplished in the landscape, because in Iowa, it's, it's fairly intense management that's needed to keep it in a, a grassland state, which is, I guess, what most of Iowa was. And, right. um, it, it, you know, we have invasive species pressure and we have tree encroachment and all those different types of things. Um take some doing to get the habitat back to a stable point where the quality of habitat is there to raise the critters that we want to go pursue in the fall. Right. Um, so connecting people with that would be, would be something that, that I definitely would find pretty enjoyable. Just getting them connected to understand, I guess, the types of improvements that can be made and um, how you go about developing developing good habitat on the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'll, I, I spent some time, I, I worked out West in, in Idaho and I, I have done my fair share of fixing fence and spraying yellow star thistle. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know how that goes. Yeah. And that's one of the <laughs> things that we'll be doing this with some of these projects is this summer will be scouting for weeds. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. guy said, like very specifically, that he'd like a team to come out with some GPS units and just mark some patch, mark patches, so he can go out and spot spray them. Uh-huh. It was leafy spurge, is what he was concerned about. Uh, I don't know if you you have leafy spurge there. I'm sure. Yeah, in Northwest Iowa, we have leafy spurge that we deal with. Yeah. Anyway, everywhere has some invasives that we got to contend with in order yeah, to yeah, make the habitat sure. nice. Yeah. 
It's an interesting idea, though. If you get volunteers that go and help out, you know, they say sign up for that that program. They help a, a landowner eradicate invasive species or what have you. It'll help them also identify invasive species to take care of on their own property. You know, so it's might kind of help eradicate or beat back some invasive species, um, not just on the landowner's property, but on their own as well, the volunteer's property. So, sure. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, they hunt, they hunt more spots than just the ones where they help out. Exactly. So if they can identify some of those improvements that can be made and um, I guess we could maybe teach them how to go about that, that might be beneficial. Right. And just have a compounding effect on better habitat in general across the state would be, would be something that I could, I could get behind. Yeah. This um, is, this last weekend, I actually did a, a volunteer event for, are you familiar with INHF, Iowa yeah. National uh, Natural Heritage Foundation? Yep. Yeah, I did a invasive species eradication deal with them. And I never knew what autumn olive was until then. <laughs> and I got intimately familiar with it. That shit's terrible. Were you guys uh, cutting it down? Yeah, it was uh, like a hack and squirt kind of deal. So it's bush honeysuckle, autumn olive, multiflora rose, all the fun ones, uh, you know, cut it with loppers or uh all the prickly stuff oh yeah and then put down a glyphosate on the on the stone cambium layer yep okay yeah that's cool and who owned that land uh it was owned by inhf so they're a okay non-profit and Uh they they do some access stuff i'm not intimately familiar with them but they do some access stuff too where they're a non-profit and they'll buy ground and try and open it back up to public access. So this particular one was one of their properties under their name, but um, they do some other stuff where they'll put it into the public trust and, and stuff like that. So that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I guess. Yeah. There's so much going on that I don't know, you know, that we, I don't know about, I guess, you know, people trying to, trying to help other people see little bits and pieces of this planet we live on, you know, and it's pretty, pretty heartwarming. Well, I, I guess, you know, um, I started my career where I was working on public lands and actually conducting habitat management. So I guess I, I cut my teeth and learned how to, um, I guess, ha- manage habitat and restore habitat. But when I got into the private lands thing, it's a, it's a much different position where you are you're teaching people on on how they can make these improvements and identifying opportunities where they can where they can see those things to fruition and you know in a state like ours where it's 98% privately owned in order for us to have viable wildlife populations in general they have to exist on private land so the opportunity for improvement um, was huge in this type of position where we could help those people, you know, create higher quality habitat and and really have a big impact on on the wildlife in our state. Um, so I guess that's kind of what attracted me to the to the position. That yeah, yeah. One of the tools, I guess that that also aligned with my interests, um, so we could allow public access on some of those pieces. But really, yeah. I think the game for us has been always to help them manage their resources so that they can have, you know, viable populations in the state. Anyway. Yeah. You never have to get up in the morning, Nick, and wonder whether or not your job is meaningful. (laughs) Thanks. It's very, very, very meaningful. 
you're facilitating yeah. public access and you're trying to do something positive for wildlife you know i can't imagine a more fulfilling profession or set of go job goals than that you know so yeah if we can uh if we can create more habitat and better habitat we're pretty happy <laughs> yeah that's cool well if there's nothing if there's nothing else i'm going to wrap this up well that sounds good i appreciate your guys' time um I guess let me know how else you think we can help, how these conversations turn out for you. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I will. Series goes well for you. Yeah. I will, uh, I will, I will keep in touch and let you know how things progress with the other states and what we're finding out and learning. But I want to end on a plea to, uh, to Iowa hunters. If you're an Iowa hunter that values, non-pay publicly accessible hunting here's a little program in your state you know try to find ways to be involved with it try to try to find ways to support it i mean i think this idea of it at the very least like that if they could somehow write a christmas card to the person and you guys send it on to them or whatever to show some appreciation you know i think there's things that i, I think hunters want to do more to open up land for themselves, you know, and open up opportunity. I think it's important to them. That's my, that's the wager I'm making here is that they care. So, you know, there's this little, there's this little program in Iowa. It's not that old. It's just getting off the ground, maybe jumping and see if there's ways to help. Thank you, boss. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Hey, thanks for all the work you do, Nick. And it's good to meet you. And it was good talking to you again, Matt. Yeah, you too, Zach. You guys have a good night. All righty, you too. Thanks. All right, bye. Take care. Bye. bye.